Welcome to the Water Cooler, everybody. I'm David Brody. It is a Thursday, December 24, 2020, and I'm actually lying to you. I, look, I'm just telling you straight, straight up, it's not December 24, 2020. You want to know why? I like to break the fourth wall here and say I'm doing a tape show. Okay, so even though I just said December 24, 2020, it's just not true. It's just not true. Look, it's Christmas Eve, for goodness sake. Uh, I mean, I'm going to be home. I'll be home on December 24th, uh, you know, just kind of chilling, uh, eating, uh, chilling, and then eating some more. And, and that's what I'm going to be doing. But we're still going to have a show. We're going to do best of. So uh, here we go. You know, it's December 24th, 2020. Just play along. Uh, and on the show today, Laura Trump will be with us. She's talking about uh, election fraud and all the mess that's been going on. And by the way, she says it is a battle for the soul of America. And that's not Joe Biden talking. That's Laura Trump talking. Uh, also, Tim Head will be with us. Uh, Faith and Freedom uh, Coalition. He is talking about the Georgia Senate races. You got Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue trying to uh, beat uh, the two Democrats down there, uh, Raphael Warnock and uh, John Ossoff. Uh, and that could be obviously control the Senate. So there's a big faith component and he'll get into that. Dr. John Rosa will also be here. He's going to be talking about opioids and COVID. And you say, well, wait a minute, what about opioids and COVID? Well, there's a direct uh, connection between the two. Increase in COVID cases means an increase in opioids based on mental health. We'll get into that. And Daniel Lippman will be here from Politico. He's going to talk about AOC and uh, Nancy and Chuck and Democrat leadership because there is a rift, there's a split, there's a, there's a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, I just said it, a rift and a split. Do I need another word? I guess I don't, I don't need another word. Anyhow, he's going to be talking about what is happening inside the Democrat Party, especially as the Congress starts in 2021. Uh, but now we're going to start with Laura Trump on this best of show. She's talking election fraud. She's frustrated and she's going to tell you all about how the world is in trouble. Let's bring in our first guest, a friend of the show, Laura Trump, senior advisor for the Trump campaign. Laura, great to see you again. Thank you. Great to be on with you. Well, Laura, we're all on pins and needles here. Do you think the Supreme Court is going to take up this crucial case? Well, gosh, I hope so. I mean, you're absolutely right. Uh, And everything you just said, look, Article 1 of the Constitution very clearly states that it is the state legislatures that decide the time, manner, and place in which elections uh, are conducted And what happened in the states of Wisconsin, Georgia, Pennsylvania, and Michigan is that it it was decided to change all of these election laws by people that are not part of the state legislature. So that disenfranchises, David, the rest of Americans. That means that the Electoral College is corrupt and and we can't we cannot have a legitimate election if things like this are allowed to take place. This is a constitutional question at this point. And this is the reason that the Supreme Court exists to decide things like this. I mean, the reality is if we let this go unchecked and we do not do something with with the very clear fraud, with the uh, evidence of ballot tampering, ballot harvesting, I mean, the, the, the things are just astronomical that we've seen on the fraud front. And then you take this uh, lawsuit that was brought on by the state of Texas I mean, we are going to lose our constitutional republic. The future of America is at stake right now. And I think it's vitally important. Uh, Over 70% of Republicans do not believe the outcome of this election and around 30% of Democrats 
don't even believe these election results. So we've got to make sure that our system works and that it is legitimate votes only that are counted. Laura, I'll have to bring on some constitutional experts maybe to answer th this next question, but I am curious to get your take on this. I mean, wh what would you hope the Supreme Court does? I mean, for example, if they rule in your favor, I'm wondering what that means. It, would that mean that they would, in essence, invalidate those four, the, the electoral votes from those states, or at least that would throw those states out? I'm just trying to understand that a little bit further. Well, yeah, I, I'm not a constitutional expert, but I can tell you that uh, if, if we cannot be assured that these states followed their own state election laws, then maybe the answer is to throw them out. I mean, I think it's 62 electoral votes. That would mean that Joe Biden is not president-elect of the United States, like the media so gleefully declared uh, almost immediately. So, uh, look, we'll see what they decide to do, yeah. but I think they should at least take this case and, and it's so important to the future of our country. Laura, I want to uh, have a, there's some critics that are out there, as you might imagine, uh, even some conservatives, well, conservatives, you know, Eric Erickson has been out there now. I, I, guess he, I guess he's a conservative, but he's a little bit more establishment conservative. Here's what he said. I want to read this to you. Uh, he said this about the Texas lawsuit. He thinks it's frivolous. He says, if Texas were to win this, it would dissolve the horizontal federalism of our union and only expand the powers of the federal government. It would also lead to a civil war as a handful of states overturn the rules and laws of other states and dictate those states' internal affairs. What, what's your sense about all of that? Well, I would push back on that and say that, it, again, it very clearly states in the Constitution, uh, you know, exactly what the founders of our country intended. And, uh, you know, whenever that is just kind of thrown by the wayside and we're going to say, oh, let's just sweep this one under the rug. We know that the Constitution was violated this time, but we'll let it go because it's for Joe Biden and he needs all the help he can get. We cannot do that as Americans. We need to demand that this is done properly. And you know what? We have to fight for our country. We have to fight for our freedoms. There is so much at stake with this. And, you know, he talks about a civil war. But, I mean, think about the 75 million Americans that voted for Donald Trump that feel like their votes just didn't even matter because the, the system was rigged against them. The Democrats were going to cheat. We cannot allow this to happen in America. So I think it's a constitutional issue, and it very clearly states in the Constitution uh, what the founders intended, and those were violated very clearly, at least by these four states. Laura, we know your father-in-law does not like to lose. Who likes to lose? Uh, not that he lost, but I'm saying if it ends up going against him, uh, it's one thing to lose. It's another thing to lose ugly, or at least this way, in terms of potential uh, cheating and fraud out there. Uh, what is your sense? We've heard so much talk about 2024. I know he's focused on now, but what's your sense about uh, there are a lot of folks that would want him to run again, you might imagine? Well, Donald Trump uh, intends to be president for two terms. So uh, we're fully intending it to be the next four years as his second term. But look, if it comes down to it, I think he's the leader of this party. He is the kingmaker of the Republican Party. He's going to be that, at least for the foreseeable future. And he has said, um, you know, I would probably run in 24. And I think that there are a lot of people out there that are really excited about that prospect. So we'll see ultimately what happens. We hope it doesn't come to that, of course. But I think he wants to be president for eight years. Laura, uh, here's my Dr. Phil question. How are you doing through all of this? And what I mean by <laughs> <laughs> what I mean by that, there's so many ups and downs. And uh, I know faith uh, is, is so strong with, with you and your family. Uh, how have you managed to kind of uh, get through all of this? Because, you know, I don't think that question's asked enough on, on folks like yourself and, quite frankly, a lot of other uh, folks that are in this fight. Uh, it can get real nasty. 
Well, it can, but you know, we've we've sort of David become accustomed to it in a way. Uh, they have never treated us fairly. They've never treated us nicely, right. at least as a family. Um, and the people that know us know who we are. Uh, when you're true to yourself, you God knows who you are and knows your heart. That's ultimately what matters. And and look, we're we've become a much closer family because of all this. I think oftentimes, you know, you find yourself in situations like this. It can either tear a family apart or bring them together. I can tell you, we're an incredibly close family, and uh, I think it's helped us all sort of weather this storm. And look, on the campaign front, I'll tell you, the the people at the campaign are the ones that worked their hearts out and and worked so hard for this win for Donald Trump, and to see it uh, appear to be just stolen right out from under us. We're in this fight to the very end. So, uh, look, we all feel strong. We feel good. And uh, we know that, that Donald Trump won this election. Sadly, we have to work a little harder than, than most to uh, uh, any in general with Donald Trump, with part of his campaign or as a candidate. So it's kind of prepared us in a crazy way for this time right now. Interesting. You know, when you look up uh, the definition of insanity in the dictionary, you see the liberal media's picture uh, front and center. I mean, <laughs> the, what, what they are doing, I mean, I'm talking about journalism dead in America. It, it's really been, honestly, it's been very sad to see. And I feel like they're having people out there have to choose. Are you on team A or team B? And that really, unfortunately, shouldn't be the case. Um, they're making a lot of uh, a lot of headlines about family pardons. You know, they're trying to usher him out the door and all of that. What, what's, I want to get your reaction to some of the family pardon talk uh, and, and what the, the feeling is inside the family, if you will. Well, I don't think we're the family that needs a pardon. It looks like that might go to the Biden family. But uh, the reality is they have tried to take down this president in any way possible since day one, since Donald Trump came down the escalator and said, I'm running for president of the United States. And that has come in the form of weaponizing the justice system, doing everything they can to try and attack all of us. Uh, don't forget my brother-in-law, Don, was uh, testifying on, on Capitol Hill multiple times over this nonsensical Russia collusion hoax that they pushed forward. Yet uh, we see that you know nobody seems to be paying much attention in the media to the Hunter Biden story, we now know that he is under federal investigation. So again, I would uh, I would throw that back to the Biden family. They might be the ones that need the pardons, not the Trump family. And as we wrap up here, there's a lot of folks across the country uh, still hoping and praying that uh, this president's going to win a second term. The March for Trump rallies are moving towards D.C., a big one, as you know, on Saturday. What's your message to the folks that are out in the shivering cold all across this country? Uh, they're at those March for Trump rallies, and boy, they are boy boisterous for sure. Well, gosh, it just means the world to us. We absolutely love to see it from the bottom of our hearts, uh, from the entire family. And on behalf of the president, I want to say thank you to these folks. You are true patriots. You love your country. You fight for what you know is right. Uh, and we, we love to see it and, and keep the fight up. And look, as far as this is concerned, this election it is far from over. I want to make that very clear to people. Yep. We are incredibly optimistic at, at the campaign and in our family. So I want everybody out there to keep up the fight, stay strong, because this thing is not over yet. Laura Trump, always great to see you. Really appreciate you coming on on the show uh, again. We don't take it for granted. And we thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right. Laura Trump uh, here on the water cooler. Uh, once again, I tell you what, climbing up the charts, making record appearances here on the water cooler, beating my mother, uh, who is yet to make an appearance. But then again, how do I say this nicely? Because I love my mom. But uh, the politics and the ideology may be a bit different. So once again, my mom refusing interviews with me, which is kind of uh, honestly insulting. But then again, I love my mom. How do I not love my mom? Why am I talking about my mom? 
Back in a moment. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Uh, The control of the United States Senate in the hands of folks down in Georgia. That's the bottom line. January 5th, uh, Purdue, Ossoff, Leffler, Warnock. It's like uh, a big boxing match down there, two of them. Uh, and it's going to decide control of the Senate in Georgia. So we want to get the latest down there and bring in Tim Head, the executive, or excuse me, Tim Head with the Faith and Freedom Coalition. Uh, Tim, thanks for being back here on the show. Appreciate it. Well, of course, thank you always for having me, David, and for talking about these issues. Well, Tim, uh, where do we even begin? But I do want to at least start with the Leffler-Warnock race, because that seems to be uh, where a lot of the intensity has been. What, what is your sense in terms of where the race stands today? Well, uh, you know, I think uh, I think you're right on the Purdue-Ossif uh, side. I would say that uh, there's been more familiarity with Ossif and probably more familiarity with Purdue. And so uh, so the, the cement is a little more uh, poured and, and, and somewhat hardened there. But on the uh, on the Warnock side and also on the Leffler side, um, there still are a lot of people that are getting to know both of them. So Leffler has been in the uh, been in the Senate now for almost exactly a year. Uh, her voting record is is uh, pretty well established. You know, her, her rhetoric uh, is now matching that voting record, and so a lot of I, I think uh, conservative voters and, and social conservative voters uh, have liked what they've seen. But uh, but then when a new personality like uh, like uh, Raphael Warnock kind of shows up on, onto the political stage. A lot of people are interested to hear what, uh, you know, to see and hear what he has to say. And, um, you know, at first blush, he, he, uh, he, he looks pretty good. But, um, but uh, the more you kind of hear what his uh, positions are and what his policies would be, uh, I think the more people t- kind of take pause. Well, and now, Tim, uh, the pastor, Raphael Warnock, pushing back on conservatives and Christian conservatives. uh, Just the news headline uh, I want to show you, and it says this, uh, Warnock vows to push back against those who use religion as a cover for bigotry. So he's trying to, (laughs) I tell you what, uh, this this is not the, the social conservative message that he's preaching, Tim. Well, uh, so he's he's uh, he's kind of uh, at least on, on strike two here. So uh, so just um, uh, I don't know uh, within the last 48 hours, he's tweeted that he's uh, he's self-proclaiming himself as a, as a, a pro-life pastor. Uh, so he, he is uh, telling the world readily, uh, um, uh, proudly, that he is a pro-life pastor. And then uh, anybody who uh, criticizes him, he calls a bigot. Uh, so that's that's not bigotry, um, uh, Pastor Warnock. That's that's simply disagreement on not only a public policy, but on your interpretation of Scripture. And I think that you're going to lose that battle more times than you're going to win it. Yeah, I mean, he's not a pro-life pastor. He's been very clear that he's a pro-choice pastor. I'm not quite sure what he's referring to. Or, you know, obviously conservative Christians call him a pro-abortion pastor. So uh, I want you to hear from Alveda King. We had her on earlier in the week. Uh, I asked her specifically, well, I'll let you hear what I asked her, but it's about his theology. Have a listen. 
what do you make of the theology coming out of that church now and what he's preaching? He is preaching a theology of bail. Kill mm. babies, it's okay. Tear up families, it's okay. Play the race card, don't come together as brothers and sisters. It's not okay, we're gonna keep praying. Well, you know Alveda King, she doesn't hold back. Uh, what are your thoughts about how that's gonna be a contour in that race down there in Georgia, Tim? Well, like I said, uh, she's uh, 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 the more people hear what he has to say, uh, not just in uh, in kind of his uh, his kumbaya messages, but the more they hear uh, his more uh, divisive, more um, uh, flamboyant messages, uh, the more uh, uh, conservative Christian voters in Georgia uh, are sort of getting the memo that uh, that that just uh, just because somebody. Uh, kind of trades pleasantries and and, uh, and talks talks nice um, in uh, in, a, in a couple of um, of prepared remarks doesn't doesn't mean that that's actually how they're going to perform when it's time uh, when kind of the chips are down. And we believe that uh, right now is actually the time when when uh, you know when when the, the the spotlight is kind of shown on people. We believe that that's when people start to show their true colors and and uh, you know unfortunately in the situation with uh, with Pastor Pastor Warnock. Um, he, uh, he, I think he needs to, to rethink some of those positions when it comes to, uh, to the beginning of life, because that's the, the number one deciding factor for most Christian uh, voters in Georgia. Tim, there's a lot of people that are scratching their heads about what's going on in Georgia. When, you know, people that don't pay attention to politics, they hear Georgia, they think the South, they think conservative, they think Christian, they think honey boo boo, they think the whole thing. Uh, so what's happening in Georgia exactly? Why is this type of stuff by Warnock pretty much disqualifying him? Instead, he's in a neck and neck race and could win it down there. What is happening to him down there? Well, Georgia is not dissimilar from a lot of southern states, so uh, so in, in a lot of ways we're kind of victims of our own success, right? So uh, so not not dissimilar from uh, places like Florida, from places like uh, Texas, from places like uh, North Carolina, and increasingly Tennessee. So good governance, good governance on the state level. So it'd be that uh, tax uh, tax policy or education policy or just kind of general uh, general good governance uh, has brought a lot of people from other parts of the of the country. So with, whether that's uh, kind of Midwestern states moving down to Georgia and relocating um, or, uh, or California folks um, moving uh, moving out east, uh, we believe that, um, that uh, you know, we've had an influx of migration from people from other parts of the country. But, uh, you know, like, like a lot of us have noticed, uh, they tend to kind of bring their politics with them. And so um, the, the problem yeah. is uh, you, you, you move here for our, our weather and our, and our taxes, but you actually bring um, your division and your big government with you, and uh, and you add to that uh, uh, an added uh, dimension of a lot of California money pouring into this uh, into this state here in a short amount of time, and um, it takes a little bit of time to kind of sift things yeah. out. I got about 30 seconds or so, Tim. What do you make of uh, some of those comments by Lynn Wood and Sidney Powell basically saying, if, I mean, you can't trust the, the election, uh, what's happening down there, and that might suppress turnout. Are you concerned that turnout would get suppressed uh, from conservative Christians down there, or are you not worried about it? Well, a week or two ago, I, I would have been a little bit concerned about it. Thankfully, President Trump and his, uh, his appearance down in South Georgia just last weekend uh, uh, kind of put that, uh, that line of thinking to bed. I, I tell you what I tell a lot of people, uh, you know, right around here over Thanksgiving, I told uh, some of my family members, the only way that we know that our voice will not be heard is if we don't vote. 
And so Georgians, uh, we believe, are going to come out in droves. Uh, there's, you know, there's a lot of frustration or consternation at the moment, but uh, yeah. when voting actually starts next week on the 14th and continues all the way through January the 5th, we believe that, uh, that, that the, those voices are going to be back, uh, back in the fold. Tim Head with the Faith and Freedom Coalition. Always great to see you. Thanks for coming back on the show. I really appreciate it. You got it. God bless, Dave. All right. God bless you. All right. Uh, God bless you on a Friday. How about that? Uh, when we come back, the former mayor of Baltimore, Stephanie Rawlings-Blake, back with us on the show to talk Biden and the transition process. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. We're talking a lot about election voter fraud, and it's brought a lot of stress to millions and millions of Americans out there. Speaking of stress, uh, we think of COVID-19 and thinking of stress, we think of opioids because of the mental health issues, not only associated with opioids, but so associated with COVID-19. You put them together and you've got a major crisis brewing in America. I want to bring in Dr. John Rosa, the owner of Accessible Beltway Clinics uh, and a surrogate uh, for the White House on the opioid epidemic. Dr. Rosa, thanks for being here. I appreciate it. I appreciate the invite. I'm happy to be here. Well, talk to us a little bit about what you're seeing as it relates to the opioid crisis. Uh, COVID-19 gets all the headlines, but there seems to be a direct relation between both of them. Yeah, I mean, we had headlines galore when it came to the opioid crisis for a while, and especially when we're looking at some of the drug companies that were having lawsuits involved. So the news cycle was there. But when COVID hit, obviously, it took front and center. Uh, just to get a little bit of arms around the opioid crisis, you're looking at something that's taking 160 lives plus a day. Um, you know, 90 babies are born every single day with an addiction to opioids that we see in the hospitals. This is every day. Yeah, when we have 90% of all the opioids, whether they're prescription or illicit, consumed by the United States of America, which is only 5% of the world's population, you think we have a problem. This is pre-COVID. So again, 5% of the world's population, we consume 90% of all opioids made, illicit or prescription. And then we have 80% of heroin users that tie back their use that's starting with a prescription pill. So this opioid crisis has been building for years. I mean, it's been, if we look at, if we look at the actual crisis and where the vulnerable people are, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll look at a, I'll, I'll use an example of a set of twins. So if we have a, a, a person who's, their life is really going well, they're, they're successful, married, have a few children, very happy, um, and they twist their ankle, go to the hospital, get a prescription for Percocet or Oxycontin, and they don't feel very good on it, they don't like the way they are, they don't fit, just makes them feel a little bit uncomfortable. That's because their system is making enough dopamine and serotonin and things, those happy, feel-good chemicals that we have, uh, that keep you kind of moving forward, progress. And the same twin may be in a different situation and they've lost their job for the third time in a few months and their children don't like them because they're drinking too much and maybe their relationship with their spouse is not that good and life's not the same. 
Well, those dopamine and serotonin productions go down, and when they take that prescription with the same twisted ankle, it changes their outlook on what's around. So it's going to this mental health state that we're talking about, where COVID, if you think about mental health and COVID, mm -hmm. it, punched, mm -hmm. it punched this crisis in the teeth. Mm. I mean, it's, it's a, well, it, when you, you're, you're, looking at, uh, you're looking at a population base of people who are looking around at this invisible storm around them with masks on their face. We have strife in the streets. We have an election cycle that was just hard and it still continues. Right. So people are angst about that. We have the West Coast on fire and the East and the Gulf Coast underwater. Like you literally can't turn on the television and feel comfortable. Now, when you have the holidays that pop into this whole thing and you, you, you place in the fact that you can't see your loved ones, you're isolated. And the whole reason where addiction kicks in, where people that isolate and not feeling well, not producing those feel good chemicals, loneliness in general, yeah. when you have that in abundance, if you were taking prescriptions before, you're looking for them. If you were on other things, you're looking for them. Um, or if, God forbid, you have pain and you don't feel comfortable going to see a doctor or an integrative medicine specialist, like yeah. we are offices, we have medicine, chiropractic, physical therapy, acupuncture. If you can't get access to those things that are drug-free, surgery-free, mm -hmm then you're gonna get prescribed something that's gonna um, make you feel um, better and not just from pain. I wanna pick up on that point. I do wanna show you what the American Medical Association has put out, uh, and obviously you've seen a lot of these reports, but this is what they're saying. Uh, they're saying reports of increases in opioid and other drug-related overdose and other concerns during COVID pandemic. And then they go on to say more than 40 states have reported increases in opioid-related mortality, as well as ongoing concerns uh, for those with a mental illness or substance use disorder. And it kind of, I want to ask you about the prescription part of, it, part of this, because I know this has been a big thing for you to, to make sure people are not relying on these prescriptions and finding other ways. Right. I, 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 you have that increase. We had a slight decrease. We were celebrating it because there was so much attention paid on this. And 17 to 18, it was the first time ever we had like a 4.1% decrease in these overdose-related deaths. Then in pre-COVID in 18 through 19, it went up 4.6% to the highest level ever. So we really had this slow tick, I think, in the way prescriptions were being written. Doctors, everybody was a little frightened. And then it, it goes away and we go back to the, uh, the same level. And fentanyl, which is coming across our borders and getting mixed into the, um, the use, is what really is now escalating those number of deaths. But you have, you have this currently anywhere from 50 to 30% increase through the numbers from March to now. We didn't even get to a full year cycle from March to March where we can calculate. There's a 15% in some of the less affected areas and 30% increase in the hard hit areas in the Appalachians and Ohio. And I mean, that's drastic. I mean, we are in an epidemic of losing that many people. That means when they calculate, it may end up being that there's close to 200 people a day dying of an overdose. And I look, we understand COVID. COVID is an issue. Like this is not, this is no joke. I mean, this hospital systems, the the current infection rate, the deaths. We can't look past the fact that we're in a pandemic, but we cannot forget that there's epidemics that's taking lives at an incredible rate. And I'm worried about the mental health status of what we look at in the future. This carries on. We have our children not understanding how to how to communicate their the, the fright level like our our system is designed for flight or fright for an instant 
So the lion that's chasing me, I have to run. But he doesn't chase me all day, isn't it? The guy, this thing's not chasing me all day for eight months. But yet we have this in our system now. This is, it's really, I, I really, really, I thank you for letting me come on and actually speak about this because the level of importance is beyond something that we can, you know, COVID's going to go away yeah. and it may take yeah. us some more stuff to deal with, but this isn't. And this is actually the tsunami of emotional and mental health issues that are occurring right now that are just building up are so far offshore, yet the death rate's rising. Yeah. I don't want to be around when that wave hits, hits land and we're looking at it. Well, Dr. Rosa, I really appreciate you coming on and giving us all this perspective. We'd love to have you come back on as we move to, uh, sure. uh, to, to into January with the new administration, uh, potentially the new yeah. administration, and talk about it from that perspective. So thanks again. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. Dr. Rosa here uh, on the water cooler. And boy, I tell you what, uh, we've done a lot, of, uh, a lot of segments here that are extremely important. M maybe none more than that one. Back in a moment. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Uh, AOC, she's on the loose. Well, I mean, you know what I mean. Not on the loose, but I mean, well, I mean, ideologically, she may be a bit on the loose. Uh, and, and Nancy Pelosi trying to corral her back in. Yeah, good luck with that. Ain't at, it's not happening. Uh, let's get more with uh, Daniel Littman uh, over at Politico, White House reporter uh, over there. Uh, Daniel, great to see you, sir. Thank you, David. Great to see you, too. Well, The Intercept had uh, this uh, interview with uh, AOC. Obviously, it's making waves all over the place. Basically, I mean, to paraphrase, it's time for uh, her to go, as in uh, leadership, at least. Nancy Pelosi needs to go, but there's nobody to replace her yet. Of course, that's the headline. It's not exactly what AOC said. But in essence, she is saying that new leadership is needed. What do you make of the, uh, the scuffle, the political scuffle at this point? Well, I think it's very interesting to see how the Democratic Party is moving to the left uh, and how there are concerns among progressives that the Biden incoming Biden administration is not uh, progressive enough, not, uh, you know, is, is more centrist and moderate than they want. And, and so AOC's comments calling for Chuck Schumer uh, and Nancy Pelosi to go are are in that vein. Uh, they are kind of sick and tired or she is she and the other progressives are tired of a democratic leadership that they see that they see as old and not in tune with the real Democratic Party these days. I mean, there there is a, a quite a bit of truth to that. I mean, you know, the the, the Democratic leadership is pretty old. Uh, the the Democrat Party wants to move in a new direction from the the squad standpoint and some progressives in the caucus. So, uh, how does Nancy Pelosi handle this at this point? I mean, this is this is um, this is going to be an interesting tap dance for her. Yeah, I think she is trying to keep all members of her caucus in line, especially since, uh, you know, they only have a few, they lost seats in November. And, uh, you know, Joe Biden has picked a couple uh, Democrats from Congress to uh, staff his administration. And so they have a pretty narrow margin. And so they can't afford to lose too many more seats. Uh, and especially with 
the midterms coming up in 2022, that is traditionally when the other party wins. And so Nancy Pelosi could well be the minority leader then, and then there would definitely be a party challenge. And I don't think she's terribly interested in being the minority leader, uh, especially when you know she is up there in age, and also uh, Democrats will would likely mount several challenges against her. You know, it's hard to get in AOC's head, but you, you wonder uh, where her future lies exactly as it relates to uh, a climb into House leadership, to potentially being Speaker of the House one day, or is this about getting Chuck Schumer's seat in the Senate? She is from New York. Uh, what, what's, uh, what's the scuttlebutt? What's your, what's your sense there? Is there any way to get a read on this at all? Well, she's in her early 30s, and so she is kind of too young to uh, be a House, you know, minority leader or you know, majority leader. Uh, and so she admitted in the interview that uh, she is just too green and inexperienced to actually be in House leadership. And so uh, there are other progressives who are older uh, and that could potentially be tapped, but they are not as they don't have the star quality as AOC. I think she definitely probably wants to be a senator one day. Uh, and so Chuck Schumer is not going to be senator uh, from New York forever. And Gillibrand is younger, and so she doesn't look like she's going anywhere. And so mm -hmm. AOC could be a plausible candidate for that Schumer seat one day. You know, uh, one of the guests that we have frequently on the show is the former mayor of Baltimore, Stephanie Rawlings-Blake, a big Biden supporter. But, uh, you know, Stephanie Rawlings-Blake will be the first to admit that she's pretty progressive. And she's been a bit hesitant on some of Biden's picks so far. I mean, what's your take of what Biden's been doing so far and some of the, the, the appointments or nominations he's making or picks that he's establishing? Because it does seem a bit center. I mean, my read is center left. My read is establishment. That, that, that's kind of my read on it. No, I think your read is exactly right. Uh, Biden is not a flame-throwing, you know, torch-bearing, uh, you know, guy who wants to storm the city. This is a moderate guy, and he wants to bring back normalcy to Washington. And you're not going to, uh, after the years of Trump uh, and all the chaos in, in the White House and in Washington. And so he doesn't want to have a, um, you know, a lot of appointments who would rile up the Republican Senate, especially since he has to get many of these people confirmed. Uh, and McConnell uh, is willing to work with him, willing to uh, confirm most of these people, but he couldn't get a Elizabeth Warren confirmed as the Secretary of the Treasury. And so he's going with someone that will reassure the financial markets and Wall Street. Uh, and same with most of the other choices. They are not, these are people that Biden has often worked with in the past, uh, and they are seen as in, in the mainstream who are, who's not, they're not going to uh, disrupt things too much. Although when things get back to normal too much in Washington, then people in the heartland feel like Washington is forgetting about them again. You know, speaking of disrupting, obviously Nancy Pelosi is going to be Speaker of the House come January. We know that's a fait accompli. Uh, having said that, I want to read you what Newt Gingrich uh, tweeted out. I thought this was pretty interesting. This is what he said. If AOC and the squad really want to move beyond Speaker Pelosi, all they have to do is refused to vote for her. Her margin isn't big enough to survive without them. It's put up or shut up time. And, you know, you wonder if that's not just about voting for her for Speaker that, or voting against her for Speaker of the House, but actually voting against her in many of the bills. I mean, she's going to need their votes. She is. And so um, I don't think AOC wants to be uh, cause too much chaos and, and trouble, especially when there is no logical Democrat who would... Uh, replace Pelosi right now. Uh, and so she is not going to gum up the works uh, and vote against her 
uh, leading to kind of charges of disloyalty. And Biden would be, I'm sure, breathing down her neck saying anything you want, uh, you're not going to get if you hold up my friend Nancy Pelosi. And so I think uh, AOC is not in the Ted Cruz, you know, shut the government down, read, you know, green eggs and ham uh, on the Senate floor for 10 hours. But uh, she wants to make a point uh, and make it publicly in the press. Let me just be very clear. If AOC read green eggs and ham on the, on the floor of the House, I'd watch that. I, I would watch it. I don't know about I you. Would too. you. You know Politico would write an article about that. Of course I'm they would. I'm sure. Everyone, everyone would be tweeting about that. But I think, uh, you know, I wonder what books are on AOC's nightstand these days. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Daniel uh, Littman, I really appreciate it. Well, just like AOC, we got to come up with a nickname for you. DP, I guess. DP? I mean, you know, that's... that's DL or whatever no. you want to... Oh, yeah. What did I say? Why did I say P? DL. What am I talking about? <laughs> Who do we have on the show today? Oh, that's right. Daniel Lippman. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Daniel. Appreciate yeah. it. Thanks, David. I'll tell you what. It's only a Thursday. We haven't even reached Friday yet, and I, and I literally have no idea what I'm talking about. Then again, welcome to the water cooler in terms of how I have no idea what I'm talking about. Oh, speaking of all of that, guess what's coming up next? What a great transition. The last sip where we really have no idea what we're talking about. Uh, we've got some interesting masks to show you. How about this? The most expensive mask in the country. It's not mine, by the way. Back in a moment. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Time for the last sip. And this one, here's to you, uh, Mario Did I say Mario Cuomo? Sorry, I thought about his father. Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York. I tell you, he's a piece of work. Uh, what's shut down in New York? Uh, you know, pretty much everything. Uh, and oh, by the way, you know, you can't have gatherings of 10 people or, or more in your house. Uh, he's fine in synagogues left and right. It's crazy. And now we've got a window sticker. It's the 11th guest Cuomo window sticker. It aims to bring humor to new, co- to new COVID mandates. What do we mean by the 11th guest Cuomo window sticker? Well, let's show you. Uh, it is done by the Zoom Buffalo folks. This is on their website. Uh, the creepy Andrew Cuomo is always watching you. For anyone that wants to make sure their family only has the proper amount of guests during the holidays, get your Andrew Cuomo 11th guest sticker. Uh, that is pretty impressive, pretty creepy as well. And we thought to ourselves, hmm, Andrew Cuomo's kind of like everywhere. I mean, literally everywhere, like maybe even in the Oval Office. What if Donald Trump is doing some work and then all of a sudden Andrew Cuomo is there in the Rose Garden behind him? You don't know where Andrew Cuomo is at any point during this COVID experience. I mean, there's more. What about Andrew Cuomo? For example, there he is. He's at Thanksgiving dinner. You can barely see him, but trust me, he's there and he's by the window for sure. Uh, And then, of course, uh, Andrew Cuomo is not just there, but we know he's been uh, concerned about uh, weddings, the Hasidic Jewish community. Well, there he is. He's popping up at Hasidic Jewish weddings. You can see him in the crowd. I don't know if he got an invite. Uh, And then, of course, he's monitoring uh, rush hour traffic in New York. Uh, He's there in the car looking up at the bus. Uh, to make sure, anyhow, Andrew Cuomo 
literally everywhere. And that is uh, a little bit creepy. Anyhow, uh, we're, we're very excited uh, to know uh, that Andrew Cuomo is uh, trying to take things seriously. But let's be honest, it's a bit of overreach. <laughs> Andrew Cuomo, where, how can he be here and there? He's literally everywhere. This is the 11th guest here at the water cool. Why is he coming closer to me? Hold on for a second. Anyhow, look, I don't need, what? This is the water cooler. This, this pretty much sums up the water cooler. You take a screenshot and that's us back in a moment. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. This is where the show gets smart. Uh, Sophie News. That's right. We called her that. It's, uh, it's not her name. Is it your name? Sof- it can be. Can we make it your name? Why not? Sophie Mann, who, let's just be, uh, we will christen you Sophie News. Okay. Right here. I love it. Yeah, you've been christened. Thank you. <laughs> Sophie News, uh, what do you got going on uh, at Just the News? Yeah, well, so today we have a story. It's it's very, this one is a great story, if I, if I do say so myself. Um, Feel free. It's about Twitter. So we know that recently Twitter in the past you know, several months has begun moderating content in a way that we had not previously seen them do by flagging certain posts by the president, among others, but you know, notably the president, yeah. um, when they say this is you know, not based on anything or let's double check these claims. A lot of it has had to do with uh, tweets sent by Donald Trump about um, voter fraud right. and his concern over the 2020 election. Um, so now we live in a world where Twitter is sort of speckled with these content warnings and labels. Um, and what these several researchers from Boston University and Cornell University did was run a test to see sort of what the effect of Twitter's labeling was. Hmm. And the answers that came back to them were super interesting in that they don't do anything. Basically, <laughs> what, what, they, what these researchers found was that... Um, Republicans who were shown President Trump's tweets and then were shown them with the labels attached to them uh, only doubled down on their belief in what Donald Trump was saying. So ultimately it's a wash. Democrats, you know, felt the other way. But of course that's the argument that most conservatives have been making about this. They're saying this is not helping anything. And Twitter says, you know, purports to be doing this in the name of bridging the divide in the media and making the media more trustworthy. And all that they've really done it seems is deep in the divide, according yeah. to you know information from these researchers. You know what's interesting here? Uh, sometimes they'll put the, the the headline up or the warning, and they'll say, uh, "Do you want to know more? Read here." And I'm thinking, "Oh wait, so we're now clicking on a conservative, potentially conservative website sites they Twitter probably doesn't want you to see." Yeah. But here we are. So so it's kind of clickbait for conservative websites. It does. This is sort of what the researchers concluded: is that um, what they're doing is playing exactly into the president's hands and into his narrative, which we know for so many years now has been the mainstream 
mainstream media does not have Republicans in their hearts or minds when they, you know, sort of figure out how to how to get their message out to their audience. And the same can be said of big tech. So mm -hmm. what they felt like was a good effort has actually not yielded the results they were looking for. Sophie, Sophie News. Great to see you. Good to see you. You know you like that. I do like it. Of course she likes it. All right. Uh, that's it for the show. Scott Rasmussen on the show tomorrow and a lot of other stuff. See you tomorrow.